0: Well, Father, we are just grateful to to be here, to be the gathered assembly of those who have been called out uh, to serve you and to labor for the kingdom. Father, this church has been through a lot, but Lord, we are still alive and fighting and ready to continue the good fight of faith. And Father, as we do so, I pray that you'll use this message to knit our hearts together, to understand the cherished place of friendships in the Christian life, and that you'll use this message and, and and more to just help all of us to be a people that seeks to refresh one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> years before the COVID pandemic, uh, many in the chattering class talked about a another pandemic, uh, one that reached... Uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, all the major media outlets were, were discussing the loneliness pandemic. Do you guys remember that? And, and if you measure loneliness as a gap between the social relationships that you have and the social relationships that you want, that gap is what people ta- call the, the loneliness gap. And, and according to various surveys done before the pandemic, this is 2018 to be more precise, 22% of U.S. adults say they feel always lonely. 23% of British adults say they always feel lonely. There's a half a million young people under the age of 40 in Japan who never leave their house. When you look at the statistics... We have a lonely world, in, and in, you see a real rich irony where there was a study done where the, the average person on social media has 155 friends, but they'd only trust four of them in a crisis. It's a lonely planet. Now, what makes this a pandemic is the impact, the impact of loneliness on people. Uh, Researchers link it to higher rates of depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. And I found this one interesting. Hallucinatory delirium. Like, how can that happen? Have you seen Castaway? (laughs) Have you seen Castaway? I can't look at volleyballs the same way. (laughs) Further, there was a UCLA study done in 2015 that linked social isolation with cellular changes and chronic inflammation, and that means greater risk of stroke, metastatic cancer, and Alzheimer's. And so you look at all this lonely pandemic and you throw in suicide risk, loneliness is dangerous, and in the midst of pandemic, all these stats I gave you were pre-pandemic. Post-pandemic, how much worse is it going to be? And so you, you know, people are kind of wrestling with What do you do about loneliness? Can you medicate loneliness away? Maybe you can hire a professional counselor or life coach. But the solution to loneliness is pretty basic. We see it in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall... One will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm, keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Remember God's assessment of Adam before Eve was created. It is not good for man to be alone. And you look at uh, the God that we worship is a triune God. Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. He's not this solitary being like, like Allah who needs no one, right? God The Father and the Holy Spirit have had eternal fellowship. And as we've been made image bearers, we were meant to not be alone. Heaven is going to be a place of fellowship and celebration with other people. And these people that God brings into our life, whether it's friends or family, are a source of refreshment. Now, when we turn to 2 Timothy, we see that Paul was in need of some refreshment. He was in need of some refreshment. Think with me. Here is Paul. He is sitting in a cold, dank prison with an iron chain fastened to his ankle. Now, he's been incarcerated before. We read about that in the book of Acts, right? He was under house arrest where people were able to freely come and go and he was able to keep up his correspondence and keep up with the churches and be visited to, and ministered by friends, but now he is all alone because things have changed. On account of a, a fire in Rome and a an neurotic emperor, the, the Christians have been blamed for being anti, being an anti-Roman cult. And Paul, being the ringleader, is being made an example of. He is by himself. He is cold. He's he's hoping that somebody will bring him a cloak and maybe some parchments. He has no hope of escape. He knows that this is the end. He finds out that people have thought badly of him. People have turned away from him. And all of a sudden, there's a a knock on the door, and he hears a latch being lifted up. And, And as he squints through the firelight, he... He sees a familiar shape. Anisiphorus? Is that you? In the flesh, Paul. I've been looking all over for you. And uh, Wait a second, I got something for you. And he reaches into his bag and he pulls out a loaf of bread, some wine, and some cheese. And they sit and they talk. And the solitary apostle, the one who felt abandoned, felt refreshed. And Paul tells Timothy about it. In 2 Timothy 1, 15 through 18. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. When Paul felt lonely, dispirited, and discouraged for a variety of reasons, God provided him with a refreshing friend. And and this is something that all of us need more than we know. I look at this world and how it has been atomized in so many ways. Uh, A lot of social media activism has caused people to basically disown friends because of, of some fundamental disagreement. Right? There, there is an isolation, there's, there's a, a fear of actual social contact, and this loneliness epidemic is, is going to get a lot worse, and, and even within our own church, we talked about this during the pastor update, the elder update, um, you know, a lot of times because of this pandemic, some of the relationships within our church, for whatever reason, ha, have been strained. And when we look at who we are and the opportunities that we have, we are a web of relationships. You may not be friends with every single person, but every single person is connected to somebody else, and we all have different nodes of people that we're close to who are close to other people, and we're all kind of bound together, and we form this gospel community that refreshes souls. like, wasn't fellowship time refreshing? Seeing your friends is refreshing. Being with God's people is refreshing. When we gather together, it's refreshing because God meant us to have friends. And so we're going to see the power of friends through the ministry of Anisiphorus and how he provided a refreshing friendship to Paul. And I'm changing my outline. We're basically going to talk about the need for refreshing followed by the means of refreshing. And as we move forward as a church, I want this. God wants us to be a refreshing community that lifts spirits, that gives hope, that stimulates us to love and good deeds so that we are equipped to reach a world that, frankly, is quite lonely. So let's look at the, the need for refreshment. Verse 15 You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Here's Paul, mighty Paul, a man who stared down prosecutors, rioters, who has been shipwrecked and stoned, and he is brought low. You really see the humanity of Paul in this. All who are in Asia have turned away from me. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but we have a few clues. For one, when he's talking about Asia, don't think continent of Asia. Asia was a province of Rome. It was the western third of modern Turkey. And apparently something happened where some prominent people that were representative of many of the churches there have risen up, and they have turned against Paul. Now, they didn't necessarily turn against the Lord. They turned against Paul. I mean, if you're familiar with Paul's career, one of the churches that seemed to be a thorn in his side was the Corinthian church. After writing 1 Corinthians, he paid them a painful visit, and they basically threw him under the bus. Nobody stood up for him, and they felt ashamed of him, and it was very hurtful for Paul. Now, Now, fortunately, they responded to Paul's rebuke, and the fellowship was restored, Something similar likely happened here, where certain people turned away from him. There was a a certain pain in this broken relationship, the pain of betrayal. Now, one thing that we also see is that when Paul says, all who are in Asia turn away from me, there are some obvious exceptions. Timothy is in Ephesus which is in Asia. So Timothy didn't turn away from him. Anisiphorus, who refreshed him in prison, came from Ephesus, which is in Asia, and he didn't turn away from them. And Anisiphorus has a household in Asia that did not turn away from him. See, what Paul's using here is, is something called a, a hyperbole, almost an exaggeration. Right? I mean, Jesus uses an hyperbole, right? If your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do? You cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. And you don't see the disciples with amputated joints, right? It was a hyperbole. It was an exaggeration to make a literal point. And what some commentators speculate, and I agree with them, is that Paul is actually using the language of the depressed, right? If you've ever ministered to somebody who is really struggling with that, Everything is terrible. Everyone is turned away from me. That's Paul's disposition at the time. And and part of it is because Paul is feeling the weight of betrayal. The New Living Translation has an interesting version of this verse. It says, As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even Phygelus and Hermogenes. At two, Phidylus. At two, Hermogenes, you, you turned against me too. I think one of the greatest pains anyone can experience is the pain of betrayal. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, but also Peter. Peter was ashamed of Jesus when it mattered. David says in Psalm forty-one nine, even my close friend in whom i trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me i mean the pain of betrayed friendship is enough to bring down any man or woman no matter how strong they are one of my heroes of the faith possibly the greatest preacher since paul is a man by the name of charles spurgeon a british preacher at the age of 22 he had a congregation of 10,000 people and this was back in the 19th century I mean, just an amazingly gifted man who did great works for the Lord. And he was part of an organization called the Baptist Union. That was his denomination, a group of churches. and, And his international ministry gave the Baptist Union the prestige that helped elevate its profile. Now, towards the end of his life, Charles Spurgeon had a magazine and he allowed an anonymous article to be published that talked about how there were many in the Baptist Union who are denying the atonement, who are questioning the inspiration of Scripture, who were doubting the reality of the resurrection. There was a liberal insurgency of people who did not believe in the true biblical gospel. And and what Charles Spurgeon tried to do is to blow the whistle on this. And this was met with a lot of anger by people who really prized and were loyal to the Baptist Union. And so in response, he stepped down, he resigned, but that wasn't enough because he published another article saying the same thing. So they censured him with a vote of 100 to 5. But there was some hope. Apparently within the Baptist Union, there was a small group of conservatives his brother James being one of them, who began to draft a doctrinal statement that would define the evangelical connect, conviction with, within this larger denomination. And, and the hope was by, by affirming this, they would that only the true believers in the gospel would be able to sign it. They basically wanted to purge the liberals. And, and so they tried to make it specific enough so that a liberal... Christian who denies the resurrection, who denies the atonement, who denies the inspiration of Scripture, cannot sign it and would then be excluded. And so there's this group working towards that, and at the last hour, they buckled and decided that unity was more important. It was basically a rejection of the hopes and vision of Charles Spurgeon. And his own brother seconded the motion to put it before the union. And it passed by a vote of 2,000 to 7. It was a deep wound and a rejection and repudiation of Charles Spurgeon. And this is what he wrote. My brother thinks he has gained a victory but I believe we are hopelessly sold. I feel heartbroken. Certainly he has done the very opposite of what I should have done. He is not to be blamed, for he followed his best judgment. Pray for me that my faith fail not. Those were the words of a beaten down man. We felt betrayed, abandoned, all in Asia have turned against me. And he would die four years later at the age of 57. and he never got over this. If a man like Charles Spurgeon could be brought down, if a man like Paul could be brought down, then so could all of us. But Charles Spurgeon and Paul share the same reality, but, but Paul... Even though he had a need for refreshment, God gave him the means of refreshment in the form of Anisiphorus. Look at verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. You well know all the service that he rendered at Ephesus. I mean, here is a man who showed up when Paul needed him most and refreshed him, who supplied him, spent time talking to him. And one of the verses I think about is Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. He was a brother to his brother in Christ. So what led to him being such a refreshing friend? Well, one, he made himself available to do so, and at great cost to himself. Anisiphorus, to visit Paul, he had to pay the sacrifice. For one, he had to be separated from his family. Look at verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. Now, Given the term household, we can likely conjecture that he was a head of the household and he probably had an estate. He had his family, might have had servants. One of the reasons why he might be in Rome was to conduct some sort of business. And he was willing to make the journey to Rome at the expense of being with his people at his farm so that he can minister to someone who needed it. And And by Paul giving the shout out to the household, he recognizes that it was also a sacrifice for them. They would tell him, Anisiphorus, Paul needs you. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine. You go. They're willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of Paul. You see, they loved Paul. They loved Anisiphorus, but they were not territorial about their father, husband, master, or friend. I know my family loves this church very deeply, and when there is a crisis at an inconvenient time, they happily send me away because they love you all. And, and see, part of being a refreshing friend is that you have other friends who have a larger vision of friendship. Friendship. That's why you need to be aware of the exclusive friend. Do you know what I'm talking about? With the exclusive friend, they become very jealous of other friendships that you have. They want to restrain you. You know what? I need to be refreshed by you, and you refresh me. You need to be refreshed by me, and I refresh you. Therefore, you don't really need anybody else. We have each other, and that's a lot. And that's why when you get into somebody who, if you are, let's say, a needy friend, right? And I understand there's times when we're needier than others. But if that's your default, a needy friend has a need of spiritual refreshment. I need you to do this for me. And when that's your outlook, what's driving your friendship is your comfort, your refreshment, not the greater picture. And when people kind of reach this, this friendship where there's not an allowance where you can go and one another somebody else and they don't feel like they can one another somebody else, that's an idolatrous friendship. Anisiphorus and his household, they were gl- gladly willing to share each other to minister to somebody else. They were happy to expand their social circle. We also see that Anisiphorus was not ashamed of Paul. May the Lord, verse 16, have mercy on the household of Manasseh Forest, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. Now, as I mentioned, he was likely somebody who was involved in business. He traveled for business, and if you are traveling for business, your reputation means a lot to you, right? If you have a, a reputation of being a cheat or a crook, business is over. And so, here he was, traveling to Rome, And he was going to pay a visit to somebody deemed a public enemy of Rome. He was the leader of the group of anti-Romans who set the capital on fire. So in this, of course, you're going to visit him. That's bad for business. I mean, we see this today, right? Large Christian company known for the advocacy of all things Christian and biblical marriage, who who helps support many Christian charities, begins to reevaluate their practice and their business model, and they back away from supporting certain overt evangelical charities. All in the name of the bottom line. Loyalty to Christians can be bad for business associating with those who the world despises can lead to residual shame on your part. You have the high school student who who desires to be popular and well-accepted and embraced by the larger high school culture, and while they act buddy-buddy with Christians at church, they ignore them during the passing periods. But you know what Anisiphorus would have done? He would have said, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm sharing my greasy pizza with them during lunch every single day. He's not ashamed. He is more concerned about Paul and his well-being than his own reputation. You also see that he was more concerned about Paul's life than his own. Look at the 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. This verse places Anisiphorus in Rome. Now, just to let you know, why is Paul in prison? He was arrested. What was going on there? A sociopathic, neurotic, and narcissistic emperor decided that to get out of this public relations nightmare that had to do with the public speculating that he burned down Rome, he was going to find and execute scapegoats. And you read the ancient sources on this. He punished Christians in some of the most vile, cruel ways. The torture of Christians served as nightly entertainment for this guy. One ancient Norse, one ancient writer writes that he covered Christians with the skins of beasts. They were torn by dogs and perished or nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination. So when Paul was in Rome, and Anisiphorus went to visit him, he was basically going into Mordor. (laughs) He was putting his life on the line. You think about the true friends, people who served others in the pandemic, right? Somebody who was old, and not able to get their groceries. Somebody was in need of some comfort. And, and many of you would risk exposure to COVID because you cared more about your friend than your own health and well-being. Right? That's the mark of a, of a faithful friend. And in response, what does Paul want? He says in verse 18, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And this before has found me in Rome, I pray that he'll find mercy on that day. This is something called a wish prayer. For instance, if I were to say, God bless you, that is an indirect prayer to God, but it's basically a statement of affection for you. So he, he, he's telling Timothy, may God bless him. May he find mercy on that day. And, and if you kind of look at this, there's a little bit of like, what do you make sense of this? Like may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord. The Lord find mercy from the Lord. Well, this is how you resolve it. The first Lord in the Greek doesn't have an article. So it's may Lord grant him to find mercy from. The second one does the Lord on that day. Two different Lords here. One being God the Father. The second one being Jesus Christ when He comes back on that day. All of the favor and the grace and the kindness and the mercy and the privileges that accompany the saved sent on that great glorious day when Jesus comes back may Anisiphorus receive all of it. There's some obvious Connections here with Jesus' teaching, the Olivet Discourse, when he talks about on that great day when he comes back and how he will assess those who treated his people well. In Matthew 25, 34 through 40, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and he gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when... And when did I see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it for me. That's Anisiphorus. Paul was vulnerable, he had nothing to offer. He was unpopular, he was doomed. He was an embarrassment. But he sought to refresh his friend because of his love and affection for his friend and for Jesus Christ. And this is not a new thing for him. Verse 18, and you well know all the services he rendered in Ephesus. He always had that mindset of seeking to serve and refresh other people. So it's only natural that he would go and try to refresh his friend, Paul. Paul. He was a refreshing friend. Wouldn't you like to have a friend like that? How do you have a friend like that? Sadly, I think this pandemic has put a, put a strain on many friendships for many reasons. I remember seeing internet memes when the pandemic and the shutdown started about the excitement of introverts, right? We've been ready for this and living for this. There, there, is a, there is a social atomization, I think, that's going on where people believe they can see and experience a whole world from behind a screen. Many people have, have realized just how much work relationships are, and so they're content to let them die. To quote Paul Simon, I built walls, a fortress deep and mighty, that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship, Friendship causes pain, it's laughter, and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. There are some people who just choose to live alone. In their pride and bitterness and resentment, they never seek reconciliation. They don't want to work on any relationship. And when they look at their solitary life, they just tell themselves, the cold never bothered me anyway. And if that's you, watching on screen alone, you need to repent. You are meant to have friends. You're meant to be in a community. If it's hell to be around God's people, what makes you think that heaven will be enjoyable? (laughs) If you want to be lonely forever, uh, you won't find heaven an enjoyable place. I think there's another group, though, where you listen to the sermon and you think, I wish I had a friend. I would like to have a refreshing friend. I remember when I was in, in college, there was a, a classmate who was also involved in the campus ministry with me by the name of Stevens, not his real name. But he was always kind of on the fringe, a little bit socially awkward. And he would come and do group things with us. And, and there was a, one day when he called me up and he asked if he could talk to me. I said, okay. So he invited me down to his room and I wasn't sure if I was going to be rebuked or sold something. And he sat down and he just told me, Dave, I've, I've been praying about friendship and the need to have a friend And I was wondering if you would like to be my best friend. And I wasn't sure what to say. What I wanted to say is, listen, Stephen, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) Which really means, it's not me, it's you. But I didn't. I just had to tell him, Stephen, friendship doesn't really work that way. You don't just call somebody up and say, be my best friend. It's something that has to happen naturally. And part of it is, you have to be willing to be friends with the people who want to be friends with you. You know, a lot of times, if you're kind of shooting up here, I want to be friends with the real popular person, the people in the center of the social circle, then, then maybe you need to readjust your target. So what do you do? How, how can you have this kind of friendship? Where do you begin? Well, the first place you start is within your, your marriage. It's not good for man to be alone, and the solution to that was a marriage covenant partner. And it's interesting. When, when I uh, was talking over this concept with Alvin you know, a couple of years ago, we, we noticed that there's a lot of um, couples that are both very aggressively in, pursue same-sex friends. And when that happens, it's often like, do you guys enjoy spending time with each other? Do you enjoy doing the same things and talking about the same things? And, and, and this is what I would say. I mean, a lot of times people say, well, we're just so different. He likes to watch sports. And he thinks she likes to watch Victorian romance dramas. I'm sorry, I just can't do that. But if you're both going to church, you both have the most important thing in common, right? Christ, right? You have that in common. And that's like the most important thing. Secondly, sometimes... If the person you love is really interested in something, like how many of you moms have learned to like football? (laughs) Right? You learn to like football because your son loves it. And men, if she loves Jane Austen movies with fancy costumes, either learn to love it or learn to fake it really well. Okay? (laughs) Okay? I would love to watch that rendition of Pride and Prejudice. I have never seen the BBC version. If it's as good as the 2004 version, we're in for a treat. (laughs) I can't imagine a better way to spend my life than to watch six hours of Pride and Prejudice instead of two. (laughs) What great costumes. I wonder who styled this. What other movies did this cinematographer work for? You you know what I'm saying? I blew my cover for the sake of the kingdom, but may you be blessed. (laughs) May you be blessed. (laughs) So that's where you start. You start with the relationships that the Lord has given you. I think the second one is instead of looking for a friend, be the friend, right? Be the person that will refresh other people. And so when you look at Proverbs, Proverbs has all kinds of advice for what kind of friends to look for. And we and there's two levels here on one hand look for these kinds of friends but secondly be this kind of friend so what kind of friend do you do you look for what kind of friend should you be well for one be somebody who is wise proverbs 15:20 whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of the fools will suffer harm your friends will determine your destiny, destiny in many ways right So be the kind of person who makes people wise, who grows in the fear of the Lord, that when people talk to you, they feel refreshed because because our hearts are lifted to the Lord in some way. Now part of that, being a friend, is doing some of the dirty work of helping people to become wise, and that is loving confrontation. Proverbs 27.6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of the enemy. Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-three, whoever rebukes a wise man, rebukes a man, will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. If you really care about a friendship and really care about somebody, you will help them become more godly. At my old church, there was a young man in our college ministry who was on the spectrum. And what he would do is he'd go up to people and say, You're Dave Hintz. Your phone number is 818-556-4840. And you live at 1702 Reese Place. You're Becky Hintz. Your phone number, and that's what he do. He didn't do that to single women. And finally, I just had to say, Bob, not his real name, you know, because you could just let that go and kind of be amused and then isolate them. Or you say, Bob, you know what? When you tell people that you know their exact location and phone number, especially when they're single women, um, it creeps them out. <laughs> it's creepy. Really? Yeah. Telling people private information about themselves is creepy. People aren't impressed that you have the directory memorized. So try this instead. Does that make sense? That takes more work. Sometimes it's just better to grin and bear it and just not get your hands dirty with it. But part of it is you want to make people better friends, more socially engaged. Make them wise. Rebuke if necessary. In Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four, 24, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. I mean, if you're somebody who loses your temper a lot, why would somebody want to be your friend? Right? It's like being friends with a with befriending a rattlesnake, sooner or later you're going to get bit, and it's going to hurt a lot. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I mean, there are there are times where you need to be loyal to people that might wound you, or they might be in a very difficult and awkward spot. And, and I've seen this many times, especially like with young men not knowing what to do when, let's say, a friend of theirs has lost their mother. Many of these young men are like, they just feel awkward, and what do they tend to do? Kind of retreat and stay away. And what they don't realize is that life is awkward for that friend, and part of being a good friend and bearing up under the adversity is to endure the awkwardness with them. You don't retreat when that happens, you go to them. You seek to be a good friend. Proverbs 1628. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. You know, don't be somebody who listens to the worst about other people. Did he hear what Bob said about you? Instead of saying, please tell me what Bob said about me. Tell me, okay, let's call Bob and ask him what he said about me in your presence. You don't buy it. Don't be a slanderer or friends with somebody who is. And then probably most importantly, this is probably the most important part of a friend. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Real friends forgive each other. If you want to find somebody who's a good friend, look for somebody who doesn't carry a grudge. Don't carry a grudge. When you understand the realities of the gospel, there's a wide open path for forgiveness and reconciliation. Incidentally, when we look at strengthening these friendships, one thing we're going to do, and we talked about in our uh, elder hour, is we're going to have a marriage workshop to strengthen marriages, to make sure that all of these relational skills are well practiced in that marriage relationship. And then hopefully, these skills will overflow to other friendships as well. So if you're looking for a friend, what do you do next? Well, this would be my invitation to you. Be a part of the church. Because what we offer is more than friendship. We offer family. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. So when we look around, this is a spiritual family, one that was supernaturally purchased of God, Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. All of us have been animated by Jesus Christ. And we share the same father, Romans 8, 14 through 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If you're in Christ, we're part of this eternal family. We will be together in a perfect state forever and ever. We get a preview of that here. So there's a joy that we have in relationships because this is not going to end at death. We're going to continue being friends and family Thousands of years into the future. Think about that. I will be your friend a thousand years from now. We will be friends thousands of years from now. That is an eternal fellowship. And that is why it's so important to invest in the church and invest in these relationships and sharpen these relationships. Hell is a place of isolation and loneliness. Heaven is a place of redeemed people glorifying God together. And one of the ways that we're all going to make it there is by refreshing one another, encouraging one another as the time is drawing near. So on that great day, we will not be put to shame. We'll meet Paul. We'll meet Anissa Forrest, They'll be our spiritual friends and our family. In a lonely world, we have each other. And we have the promise of having this wonderful, loving community that is going to sustain us to the end. Now tonight, we start our VBS did you know the theme of BBS? Yeah. Pilgrims. Oh wait, let's hear it from the kids. Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's progress that's right. You kids read the story yet? Okay, I won't give away the ending. Mm-hmm. But part of it, part of the storyline, is this man named Christian is on this quest for the celestial city, and what you will see is that there's many points where he almost doesn't make it. The, the Lord. Sends a friend. The Lord sends a friend. And that's God's will for all of us. As we form this network of relationships, this web of community and family, is that all of us seek to refresh each other. We seek to be friends, to be family. So in the end, we'll all enter the celestial city together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll help our church to be a refreshment to all those in this room. I pray that our church will make space for refugees from this culture who have been canceled, who have not been forgiven. We pray that we will bring them into our family and refresh them, and that our community will be one that is strengthened by the cords of love and wisdom. And I pray for anyone here who is seeking that friend. I pray that they will seek you first. They will seek to refresh others and that you will bring brothers and sisters into their lives who will strengthen their resolve and their ability to make it through the end. Naturally, Lord, we pray for BBS. We pray there will be a time of refreshment for our little ones. We pray that some from the community will join us as well and that we will be amazed at the great work that you're doing in this church and beyond. In Christ's name, amen.